yeah, obviously we're quite good at football as well. Can Arsenal go to Dubai every week, please? Hello, welcome to Fucking Great, an Arsenal podcast by Arsenal fans for Arsenal fans. I'm Jack Wood, and this week I'm alongside Andy Viswanathan. Hi, Jake. Hello, good how are you? Back. It's good. Yes, Finally it a win. Andy's <laughs> on the pod, and Arsenal have actually won a game. What a time to be alive! It was um... avoided the hat trick. Avoided the hat trick. <laughs> ran away from it. What a win at home to Crystal Palace. It was exactly what we needed. I think it was pretty much a perfect day. You know, scoring five goals, getting the clean sheet. I I can't think of anything else that could have gone right, didn't go right today. Yeah, well, we bloody love Dubai, don't we? It felt like <laughs> all of them, you know, Ben White had a fresh coat of tan. All the players looked revitalised. It was great, wasn't it? Look, I think, don't want to over it too much. Um, you know, the same way I didn't want to over when we lost to kind of Fulham, Liverpool, West Ham. Don't want to think the walls are caving in. In the same way, don't want to over this. It was, you know, a good win. 5-0, you know, makes a really nice scoreline, but um, still areas to improve. But yeah, exactly what we needed and that's all it was, right? We got the job done, got the three points. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, yeah, tra- table looks a lot rosier, you know? It's, uh, I think it was um, very much needed um, and good to start this weekend off like that. Yeah, I think you're right. It wasn't that reinvigorating, massive win against a top club. And I do think 5-0 possibly flattered us a little bit with Palace playing quite well in that mid-slash-low block, that 5-4-1. Um, really kind of limited our clear open play chances uh, for a long time. Obviously, Martinelli got the goals towards the end, but it was just exactly what we needed. Martinelli getting on the score sheet, a clean sheet, a good performance from the likes of Zinchenko, from Trossard. You know, it was, there, there, there was a lot to be positive about today. It was just something that we needed to shift ourselves back into gear a little bit and start thinking, right, okay, the sky isn't falling you know, let's just get back on with what we're doing. Let's leave leave the last five games of form behind us and just focus on going forward. And yeah, on that, it was just exactly what we needed. Like I just mentioned, Martinelli getting on the score sheet, getting to, like before we started recording, Andy, you said that his his first goal, I thought it was a good finish um, personally, but you said before it, it just it kind of rolled into the far corner. But it didn't matter how it came, Martinelli getting that goal and getting those two goals hopefully kind of switches him back on, gets his confidence back, maybe gets him scoring again. And I was I was about to throw to you for that, but then also the added carryout of he was playing against James Tompkins at right back for the last 10 <laughs> minutes. So Yeah, let's say, uh, yeah, let's take that with a pinch of salt as well. I don't think, yeah, I don't think a Ballon d'Or hunt is quite on yet, but it's a, it's a good start. You've got to start somewhere right now. But I think it's a good point. And when players have got these kind of, monkeys on their backs and they can't ch- shake it off for a few games or a few weeks, whatever. Marseille's had a tough start to the season. Sometimes you just need a bit of a reset. Um, and he came on and uh, look, when he came on, he was doing the same kind of things he was doing before the break, taking his man on, almost running it down the line too much. Um, but it was good to see he was trying the same kind of things um, that brought success last season. And eventually you do break that kind of through that barrier. Um, I think he took both goals very well. We know what he likes to do, kind of run down that line and cut in and then sweep it in with his right foot. So um, both goals were pretty much identical. Uh, I think what that will do now is it'll probably give him a bit more confidence in front of goal as well. Um, wasn't the best finishes in the world. It was good finishes, but what now do is when he gets in front of goal and he's a bit further out and the angle's tighter, I think, you know what, I'm going to back myself to take that shot on. So hopefully that gives him that little little boost that he needs. Um, kind of going to the, get started the game, um, 
<laughs> I, I've been saying and thinking recently that we just need to kind of thunderbastard it a bit more and <laughs> a bit more route one, you know. I said I said text you during the game, what's big time up to these days? Get an assistant coach. Um <laughs> I think we really embraced a bit of change today. And it was great that the first two goals were set pieces. Yeah. You know, I know we're gonna talk about that, but it's the fact that he just, you know what, Declan Rice, get him on corners. What ca- what, what can he do? Mm-hmm. Um, Saka, I love you. Tross, I'd love you. Just please don't take any more corners. <laughs> Declan Rice, just lump it into the middle of that box. You've got two big centre-backs in there that want to attack the ball. And that's what happened. Gabby got on the end of end of that first one and he plants that great header. So what you want to see your centre-back doing. It's just a great start to the game, right? I mean, it doesn't have to be that free-flowing goal that we want. It just needs to get it into the back of the net, calm some nerves. Um, I think that's what it did. It was a um, solid, stable first half. Got that with it. Never really um, in danger. Um, never looked like we were going to score two or three either. But I think give it gave us a foundation to kind of build off of definitely that first goal. Yeah, I mean, you're... You're doing it. You're doing a downer on Saka there. He took the second corner for the second goal, which, <laughs> yeah, to be fair. which, which for for no reason at all. Not that he's in my FPL or anything. I'm very pissed off that it was given as no goal. By the way, the independent adjudicator <laughs> had their way, didn't they? It was a horrible header from Gabriel. I thought. I don't, I don't know how he missed. Well, that, well, that's the thing. I said to you, like, if he's one yard out <laughs> and it's given as a no goal, fuck me. It's all right. But H- it went Hendel in. It went a favor, in. didn't he? But you, you're right. It is just. It didn't matter how it went in. It just had to go in, and I think. The interesting thing was when we did get that first goal, it reminded me of a performance of last season. You know, we talked on the podcast Mm. last week, the week before, whenever it was, the last couple of episodes about how when we got those early goals, it allowed us to dictate how we wanted to play those fast transitions and not playing against a low block at nil-nil for 60 minutes of the game. Once we get that first goal, and yeah, the second goal obviously helped, but once we get in front, we can then attack how we want to attack. And we saw that a lot in the second half, especially with the third goal, with Trossard's goal. Yeah, and I think that game state point is is super important, right? So this is the first time in... Okay, I'm going to discount Anfield because it's a completely different game altogether. I know we went one nil up. Um, and doing that, it's not doesn't mean you control the game. Um, Anfield's completely different. But then it's the first time in over a month, I think, we've went one nil up against a team that would then have to come out and attack us. And whilst it's nil-nil, they play very differently. You can see the moment we won nil up, their main attacking outlet was Eze. And just a shout out to Eze, I thought, I thought he was brilliant today um, in a team very devoid of any creativity. He, I thought he played really well. Um, did that left eight, kind of left forward position quite well. I mean, if mm-hmm. Arteta was watching closely, who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, look, I think when you go one nil up against a team like that, it becomes a lot easier to control the game and play it to your narrative. And Arteta loves that. He loves that control. And it's very hard to do that if you don't have a foothold in the game. Whilst it's nil-nil, then you start getting worried. You think, is that goal going to come? Then you start changing your tactics and you bring on some subs and you kind of lose that system and that shape. We go one lap and then I think then two up towards the end of that first half, if I'm correct, it just means that you play the game at your pace. That's why the likes of Zinchenko today, Trossard today, were able to be a bit more fluent. And even Jesus missed a chance or two, but then he did, his head didn't go down because there isn't that much pressure on him at that time. Yeah. With one nil up, two nil up, he can afford to express himself and you think, okay, even if I miss a chance, it might be another one that comes and you don't have that kind of weight on your shoulders that, that we felt in this last month or so. So with that in mind, I think that's got to be the aim moving forward. The reason we were doing so well last year, like you say, is those early starts gave us the confidence and momentum, but also puts the opposition in a different kind of mentality. Yeah. They then have to come out and play and when they don't have that technical quality to match us, 
that's when you kind of pick them off and you go, when they start to come out a little bit, you play on the counter. And mm-hmm. like you say, the third goal was an excellent, excellent um, transition from us. And that's what we need to do, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to always be able to pass it from one end to the other of the pitch. Raya gets it from the corner, out to Jesus, Trossard, goal. Three touches, three moves mm-hmm. even. And it was perfect, really. That's that's what we needed. Yeah, and it's... Yeah, game state is important. We're playing against a Palace side that aren't really... They're in a bit of a rut at the minute and we could have just seen Roy Hodgson's last game as Palace manager. And so many times this season, we've had so much control in games but not been better in both boxes. Whereas today was... We had that control but then we also were so much better in both boxes. You know, you talked about Eze having a good game. Mateta, you know, you go back a few years and Mateta's the kind of striker that as an Arsenal fan, mm. you'd look starting up against, I don't know, Koscielny and somebody else and you think, oh, Could bully us. that's what know, you think, yeah. bullied today. You know, you, get, you go back to a couple of seasons ago when Tony did it to us at the start of the season when we lost. But Gabriel and Saliba just dealt with him today. Like, at times, just fucking manhandled him off the ball. And mm. I had so much confidence, you know, striking the last five games I had so much confidence that after we got that first goal we were going to be all right we were going to do well because even within the first 10-15 minutes or so I think Gabrielle was in the in the left wing position like battling someone off the ball it was just like what the fuck's going on here but it was just there was it, it was so convincing defensively today and like Saliba yeah next to Gabrielle Gabrielle was the one over doing the overshadowing today which, mm. which, which yeah. you know, I think, I think as an Arsenal fan, you kind of notice it more that Gabriel is a is a great centre back. But I think for for those neutrals, those non Arsenal fans, uh, it's very easy to get this big hype around Saliba and how much of a great defender he is. But Gabriel, quite rightfully, was getting a lot of plaudits today, not only for his attacking threat from corners, but for the way the way he just never looked like he was ever going to get beaten in the air. Yeah, and I think they they complement each other perfectly. Um, for all of Saliba's elegance and you know Rolls Royce qualities, you've got Gabriel who's just hard as nails. You know he'll he'll die for Arteta, he'll die for the team, and that that's kind of what we want, right? I know both those players um, would do vice versa of what each other does. I mean Gabriel's great on the ball, and Saliba can out challenge anyone in the Prem. So it's it, it's one of those where I think you see it more when Gabriel is a bigger presence in the box. So when he gets the goals like he does today, it's it's a bit more noticeable. But I know a lot of Arsenal fans have been watching Gabriel for the last few years. He's the kind of player that we haven't had someone like Koscielny since Koscielny. And even Koscielny was um, at times a bit soft. But I think we finally found someone in Gabriel that just loves defending. And we've needed that for a long time. Um, yeah, and I think, look, it's it's nothing new, right? I think he's one of the best centre backs in Europe, and he will be. And I think um, was a great signing we made, twenty three odd million, whatever it was, back in a few years ago. But you know, I I just I think if we keep them both fit and Rice fit, that core, that stable stability in that core will give us what we need at the back and in the midfield. Then it's just down to the attackers, right? They, again, we still got the lowest xG conceded against we've got the least amount of goals conceded as well now another clean sheet today helped that bit is that bit is fine we're there what we need to do is get that fluidity and attack and we've been saying that for a while now but hopefully today's that springboard um and, and i think just touch on the second half really i felt like we came out with a different bit of urgency there's something said and you know I well, that, well that's it we 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 were attacking the box within 30, yeah. 40 seconds in the second half. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. right. Okay. And yeah. I, we're really going for it here. We're going for the throat. Yeah. And I don't think Arteta would have 
been negative in the halftime tea talk. Not at all. We were two 0 up. I mean, that's that's what you want, right? But I think what Arteta would have been said is, "Be brave now. You got you two 0 up. Let Palace come at you and just hit them on the counter." And that's what we did. I mean, we scored only scored one at the start, and then waited till the very end to get the next two. But it seemed like the players took the shackles off, and yeah, it was just. It's a bit more freedom and it was nice to see as a fan. I think the last few weeks have been hard. Even the Brighton game, the Liverpool game, where we got some good results, there's still, you felt a bit of kind of constraint in the way we're playing. So yeah, it was nice to get that in the second half. But look, there's still it's a long way to go and we've got more work to do. But um, yeah, it was it was a good performance. I think one thing from today is Arteta's subs, which I made note of because I've given him a bit of flack in the last few episodes about his in-game management and the changes that he'd make and bringing Smith Rowe on with 90 seconds to go if we're chasing a game or whatever. But his, you know, I think I think we were 3-0 up when he started making subs today. And, you know, Smith Rowe came on. Um, interesting to see that he got brought on before the 88th minute, considering the rumours <laughs> swirling around West Ham's loan bid. And, you know, he came on with uh, Martinelli, I think at about 70 minutes. And that was when we were 3-0 up, I think. And Smith Rowe you know, added that little bit of energy on the inside and Martinelli then had license to really go at whoever was playing in that kind of right back role, whether it was Klein, whether it was James Tompkins for the last 10 minutes. And it was a, it was a really kind of proactive move from him, even though the game was already won, let's get some minutes under Smith Rowe. Let's get Martinelli attacking a tired fullback and let's see how not, not only let's see if we can get a goal, so for the team, but also personally for both of them, see if they can get a goal contribution. And it worked. Yeah, I mean, some of Smith Throw's touches was very provocative. <laughs> he, like he, he, he had, he looked like, you know, someone that was chomping at the bit to just get on, right? And I think, was it a sign from Arteta, almost a signal to West Ham to say hands off? Was it a signal to Smith Throw to say, mm-hmm. look, fresh start, here you go, show me what you can do? Whatever it was, I think Smith Throw without kind of, you know, overegging it again and saying he was absolutely amazing. He did what he needed to do. I think he showed some signs that he's turned the corner again. He is fully fit now and he's going to be an integral part of this run. And as is Partey, as is Vieira, as are all these players that are currently missing now that we need to come back. And I think they will feel like the quote unquote new signing in a January window where they've already been at the club. They've not really impacted us in the first six months. So let's see how that goes. But yeah, I think, it definitely felt like the crowd were very much all edge of their seat whenever Smith Rowe took it on the half turn. They were expecting something to happen. I think he gave them that kind of lift and that energy. So like you say, really good for him to come on and give us that bright spark in a game that admittedly that was probably won at that point. So you've got to think, okay, that's that's fine. Again, game state. Can he do it when we're drawing 1-1 or, you know, it's a tight game. That's the next kind of step he needs to take. But yeah, baby steps at this moment in time. It's good to get some minutes under his belt. Um, got a bit of a break coming up to the next game. So it's not as if I don't think he's going to rotate the team heavily and Smith Rowe's suddenly going to start. Obviously, one of the downsides of then being at the FA Cup is that we don't have those extra games, which Smith Rowe may have got some minutes in. So I, I don't want us to lose Smith Rowe's momentum on this. I want him to keep getting these minutes because he needs to build up ahead of steam. Yeah. We do get to the Champions League um, knockout stages and pa- hopefully pass Porto and there's more games in that March-April period. That's when we need the whole squad to step up. But yeah, I think the subs were, subs were very proactive. Um, and they helped. Um, Martinelli agreed, needed a bit of a confidence boost, and and he got it towards the end, which was uh, yeah, which was great to see. We mentioned earlier that the rumours around West Ham, like West West Ham, are a good side, and they obviously see something in Smith Rowe, and I think that kind of proves the quality that he has. 
And it will mm. be interesting to see how Arteta does manage his minutes better now. I mean, an indication of him getting half an hour today is that he is 100% fit. And, you know, there's been talk on Twitter that he was looking really good out in the training camp in Dubai. Mm. It will be interesting to see how how much Smith Rowe is used because he's obviously got quality on the ball. So does Havertz. He's going to be playing. The, those are the main two competing for that left eight unless uh, Arteta wants to go back to playing Smith Rowe out wide left, which I could kind of see happening. But then also that's really Martinelli and Trossard competing for that place there. So I don't think he wants to, you know, egg too many people against too many people in different positions, if that makes sense. But with the difference with Smith Rowe to Havertz is, you, you know, we saw today, you know, it's it's fresh game state, fresh legs coming on in the last half an hour against the Tyre Palace side who are already beaten. But he's just got that intent to kind of drive the ball forward, to pass the ball with a bit more pace and, you know, maybe that's a bit of a maybe that's a bit of a dig at Havertz because of his body language and his kind of languid running style. You know, it's he makes it look effortless, but it also makes it look like he's not putting any effort in. Which <laughs> it's kind of like the working hard, hardly working kind of thing. It's mm. you know, so I think that plays on Havertz's detriment a little bit. But we all know the quality <laughs> that Havertz has got. So how how much game time do we really see Smith Rowe seeing? Because Arteta obviously sees Havertz as his number one in that left eight role. Whether that is because of the quality he's got and maybe a little bit of pressure from the price tag that he paid from last summer, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. I I do have the view that they complement each other in that way that different games call for different types of players. You heard guys in Sackers will always play because they have that kind of superior quality no matter the opposition. But I think when you're, say, playing at home, I, th- I think Smith-Rowe could have easily started that game for what it's worth. And when you got that team at home, kind of like Zinchenko and Smith-Rowe complements each quite quite well, that when you want that control, but you also want that intensity. That's why we loved Smith-Rowe when he first came into the team because of that intent that he showed when him and Saka broke through. So I think as the season goes on and we get into games with different types of defence that we want to break through, the more athletic teams, the more um, kind of dogged teams that we play against, we might want Havertz to give us that physical edge. But if we've got a team that's, well, you know, it's going to be playing low block, um, they're not going to try and kind of bully us out of the game, but they're going to just kind of be passive. And we need someone to just, that game breaker, that kind of almost Kevin De Bruyne style player I was talking about in the last podcast. That's maybe where we want Smith Rowe to come on and drive at someone and do what De Bruyne did at Newcastle last week and just, you know, just create something that the defence isn't expecting. So I think that's, uh, they will both complement each other. I think the price tag will influence Arteta. The problem is when you've spent 65 million on a player, that's, that's got to be in the back of your mind. I don't care what anyone says, you know, I know Arteta is ruthless, but probably his first signing, the major signing he's made that hasn't quite gone the way he wants. He's not been a flop by any means, right? And I thought he was quite good today again um, without, you know, breaking, breaking any kind of, um, any through breaking any barriers again today. But look, it's going to be one of those where I think they're going to have to share the minutes and Arteta's just kind of have to be um, pretty ruthless with it, um, regardless of what he's paid for Havertz. If Smith Rowe's in a run of form, then he's going to have to get a place in the team, unfortunately. Yeah, it's... I keep talking about game state because, you know, for the last... maybe You can maybe even argue from, you know, 50, 55 minutes before the third goal went in, the game was won. Really, with the way Palace were playing, they were they were really offering nothing. But when we had Zinchenko, Martinelli, and Smith Rowe, 
on that left-hand side of our squad. It almost looked like the left-hand side was working again. You know, we've been talking a lot about this malfunctioning left side and it all the responsibility all falling to Saka on the right and, and Ben White and Erdegaard and the link up over that side. But it really looked today like, again, I'm going to keep saying this, the caveat of the game state, it looked mm. really fluid down that left. I think it's, it, it, it was working with Trossard, but especially when Martinelli, Smith, Rowe and Zinchenko were all there. It, it looked like we had a, a balanced attack again. Yeah, the, the pockets were far easier to find, especially in that second half. I think Zinchenko probably inverted less, but that's because Smith Rowe was taking up more of those kind of spaces. The half spaces half. So he, yeah. He put, yeah, he played really well in the half time, which means if you can get that touch out a lot quicker, Martin, he's th- every time he's thrown goal, he's faster than most players in the Prem, let alone James Tompkins. So look... <laughs> All you have to do is play that ball through. And Eddie did it once. I think Eddie got the assist for um, Marseille's first goal and Jorginho did it for the second goal. That ball was always on. It reminded me of the um, Villa away where th- that ball was always on yeah. um, over to Martinelli. And then mm-hmm. we, we took him off, which I didn't quite understand that game. But yeah. it, kind of, it kind of was like that. But the point is a great one because when the left-hand side, while the left-hand side was very fluid, the right also wasn't as congested either. So we had kind of fluidity both downsides. And the point I was thinking about earlier was that what I said on the last pod is that that bit around Saka, that right eight space that Saka, Saka and Erdegaard almost occupy at the same time, gets quite congested and Ben White finds himself trying to overlap, doesn't have much room, can't really get the ball out to him. What happened today was Saka was almost playing a bit further forward and then a bit further to the left. So he's almost like a an inside right forward. And Erdegaard stayed in the space that he usually picks up, but it just meant there was more room for those triangles. And Ben White managed to overlap a bit more. Like Saka didn't have the best game of his um, of the season but um, I think he still provided some fluidity for us um, and I think that's important right you've got to be able to mix it up a little bit I don't mind Saka going playing closer to the striker that's fine pop it off and be strong and if if it knocks off someone into the box I think I'd want Saka on the end of those and his finishing has been a bit wayward this season but I still think he's one of the best finishers at the club so I'm happy for him to play closer to go I need to mix it up a little bit that means yeah. against Forrest next time out do what we used to do before and play Sack and Erdogan close together, see if that works. But you need to have more tools in your armory. Mm, yeah. And, um, on, and, and I think on what, we saw that today. On what you've just said, uh, in the post-match interview on TNT, Saka was saying, I mean, he's probably thought it for a long time, but it's the first time I've heard him actually say, look, if there's two or three players marking me, it means there's a lot more space for somebody else out there. And yeah. so if he is playing a little bit more narrow, that gives Ben White a little bit more space uh, on the overlap. And that does give... Erdegaard a little bit more space to play more in the center you know when Smith Rowe comes on like we were saying he loves those half spaces so he's going to be more to the left and then all of a sudden that congestion that you were talking about a couple of weeks ago is no longer a problem yeah you change the patterns of playing I think and and that's crucial you've got to keep the opposition guessing what you're going to do and that's what we've not been good at this season so when you've got your three players on the left and three players on the right uh, and including the kind of fullbacks in that as well maybe if you want to make that four if they've each got their own style going on each side it's fluid you become such a dangerous team and that's when the core of Rice, Saliba and Gabriel behind that kind of eight as well make it perfect I mean interchanging players there but what I'm trying to say is if you can get that fluidity across the team then the ball will end up in the net it will happen I'm convinced of that you know and I think we saw that today Trossard was so calm when he took his chance but I think it was because we felt confident in what we were doing. That break was executed perfectly. And the same with Martinelli. 
we played the patterns in that left left hand side, played Martinelli through, and he slotted it both times. Right. So I think great, great to see. And I think it's what we needed. Um, but it's got to be the start of something. It can't can't be a kind of a one-off nice performance. We we were expected to win today. For me, it was a must win and we did win, but we have to beat Forest. Um, and we have to keep this going. Yeah, it is exactly what we needed. And eyes now do look ahead to the Forest game in 10 days' time. Um, and I think with a kind of... Re- I'm, I'm going to say renewed optimism. And I kind of mean that in the sense of, you know, if we hadn't have won today and all of a sudden we've come back off the the winter break and that for- that bad form's kind of continued, we'd be like, oh, fucking hell, away at Forest. It's where we lost last season and uh, mm. had City the league. But now, you know, it's 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 a it's a good reminder to everybody that we can score goals, we can fly forward on the transition, and all of a sudden, Forest, who have got I think six players away at Afcon, uh, and doubts are for Gibbs White and for Ilanga as well. Mm. And yes, it's ten days away, but we could be playing against a, a Forest side that might be just coming out of their new manager bounce and have a few key players out. All of a sudden, that's two wins on the bounce, two wins that we expect to get anyway but all of a sudden we're back on the train yeah and look i think it'll be a, it'll be a tough game for us always is for us the way the atmosphere they kind of create the city going it, it has to be but that's the kind of game that title challenges go there and win and get a result right so um likes of city liverpool arsenal would expect to go there and win somehow so we've got to get done so look yeah optimistic and positive the interesting thing for me is that <laughs> Each game is like on a knife edge, right? I think we it was all doom and gloom and everyone was like saying, oh, there's no way Arsenal are going to catch up now. And I know they're only five points behind. It's going to be tough. We win a game today that we're absolutely expected to win. I don't think, you know, we're all a bit nervous, sure, but mm-hmm. everyone thought we would win that. We win it, not a miracle, but now suddenly you look at the table and it's a completely different perspective. That's the way the season is. It's, it's going to be very much game by game and each game is going to change the narrative one side to the other. It's not like last season where we were running away with it and City were chasing us. And it was almost like you could see how it might play out. There's only two ways it was going to play out. We expect to cling on and win the league or City catch up with us. Whereas this season, the, the narrative can shift so quickly. You've got teams taking points off each other. You've got so many big games coming up. It doesn't even involve us that could shape what that table ends up looking like. The likes of Villa can have a big say in this. The likes of Spurs, United, Newcastle, Chelsea. You've got all these teams that have to play between Arsenal, Liverpool and City and can have a big say in the title race. We've seen it already, haven't we? So I think all we can do is take each game as it comes. But where where I where I still have a bit of pragmatism is every game now feels like a, not a must win, but a, if you don't win, it's going to make it a hell of a lot harder than what it should be. So we've yeah, got we've, to keep we, up the kind of high spirits for yeah, sure. Yeah, we've, we, we've all been kind of playing that card after every game so far this season. Yeah. But, you know, we've played 21 games now. There's only 17 games to go. That's quick maths right there. Um, <laughs> it, we, we are starting... This This is the bit before the final stretch, this. This next nine, ten games is going to get us to the stretch. And we've got to make yeah. sure we're in a position with eight games to go. And there are going to be a lot of twists and turns, but it's it's quite refreshing, actually, to see... You know, there's. I'm. I'm still not saying Villa are in a title race. Well, no, they. They. They objectively are, but I'm still not saying that they're going to be there up the top of the season and at the end of the season. And I think if that comes back to bite me, whatever. But, you know, you've got three teams here 
us, City and Liverpool, that are all fairly even go, going into this title race. We've all got to play each other again. So there are going to be a lot of twists and turns. But I wonder how mentally it's different for the players this season, not being mm. so far ahead. And also, you know, City go on runs. That, that, that's what they do. But they had nothing to lose at this stage last season yeah. when, we were, when we were eight points clear. We had everything to lose uh, for a team that, uh, for a squad that hadn't been in a title race before. And, you know, it's quite evident that we didn't quite deal with our emotions as well as we maybe could have done. But I wonder how this season, with the learnings of last season and also chasing, that could help us? I think there's a lot to be said for how your mentality is at the start of every game when you are just chasing. While, whilst the pressure's on you to to go out and do a job, it's almost as if you you know you know what you've got to do, right? You know the points tally in front of you that you've got to meet. And in a way, it's like the equation is very clear for you. When you're leading a title race, and we have had no experience of that for, I mean, look, our last solid, solid title race, uh, say what you want about Leicester year, I think Leicester were always going to win that um, in the end. It was meant to be. I think 2008 was our last solid title race that um, we were so far in front, Eduardo injury killed us. But we haven't had that experience in this generation of this crop yeah. of players. So I think, how do you how do you react to, you know, going, I know Bournemouth, great, came back from 2-0 down to win 3-2, that's fine. But how do you react to certain games like Southampton? Go 1-0 yeah. down in the first 10, 15 seconds and you're just like, we tried to get back and we almost did it again, but we just couldn't get over the line in the end. And it, there was only so many miracles we to, could pull. Sorry? There was only so many miracles that we could pull off yeah, last season. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think when you're leading a title race like that, you you almost start doubting yourself. You go, okay, do we go gung-ho in this game or do we, you know, play a bit more passive and just get the 1-0 win? You know, because yeah. you think, you know, is a five-point lead enough? Do we need to try and get it to eight? Or, you know what, a tough away game, will a draw be fine there? You start doubting yourself. Whereas if you're four points behind objectively every week, you just know you've got to go out there and win. There's no... Yeah. There's no you know, debating how you play. It's just no, whatever you do, you have to go out there and win. I think you're right. I think um, last season, the narrative was always, do Arsenal have enough? Do Arsenal mm. have enough? Do they have enough to hang on? Do they have enough to keep going? Um, considering we were a team that just dropped out, just missed out on top four the season before. If it was Liverpool in our position last season, a, a team that had by and large been there, done that. I don't think there would have been a question that eight points clear in February, whenever it was, that they wouldn't win that league. And I, th I think that mm. did really play on us, really play on us. It was it was exhausting the last yeah. three months of last season. Absolutely exhausting. Not only watching the games and hearing the pundits talking about it, but then once, <laughs> once those clips get put on social media, that just adds way more fuel to the flames. And all of a sudden, Arsenal fans are arguing with Arsenal fans about God knows what. You know you know what I mean? That's... We're the only fan base in the world that would be eight points clear and still find a way to argue each other. Yeah. But you're absolutely <laughs> right. It was, it was excruciating last season at points, uh, at, at times, sorry. I, I was kind of going through the calendar, like March, April time, and I was just counting down the days. This is when we're still five points clear, by the way. And I was just thinking can't wait for this season to end because it's just so you, so many emotional roller coasters and you're thinking I can't even enjoy it but you look back now and you, I watched the highlights of the kind of season uh, last season and go we played some bloody good football and it was so enjoyable but in the moment you just don't appreciate it because yeah. you're in the midst of a title race and it takes a lot out of you but that's it God, I think yeah, I think, just, yeah, I think we had this I think we had this conversation so much probably this time last season 
because we weren't used to it, like every single mm. game meant something, you know, we'd had, we'd had yeah. four or five years of, ah, oh, if we don't win, it's, it, it's, the sky isn't falling down, you know, we're, we're finishing mm. seventh, eighth, whatever. We're not, we're not going to be challenging right at the top. Whereas it's, it's now shifted to the point where our expectations have grown with the quality of the side and with like this massive upward trajectory we've been on before this season. And it's just all of a sudden now we're watching every single game and it feels like you can't lose a single game. Mm. But then on, on the flip side of that, Tom, Tom made a good point a few episodes ago about this season probably being a season where the winner of the league only probably needs 86 points or so, considering where points are being dropped across the, the different teams fighting. To get to 85 points, all we need another, what's that, 14 wins from, mm. from eight, 17, 18 games, which for a side of our quality, that, that sounds like a lot when you say it out loud, but a side of our quality, you'd kind of semi-expect that. You know, we've got 13 wins from 21 so far, but we haven't really played well this season. If we do, if this is if this Palace game in the winter break is the jump start to our season and we play as well as we know we can do, albeit with the game states against low blocks, mid blocks, you know, it's, mm. it's not out the realms of possibility. I, I mean, I want to ask you a question. Do you think the title will be decided by Arsenal, Liverpool, City's games against each other? Or do you think it will be decided by Arsenal, Liverpool, City's games against Villa, Spurs, Brighton, Newcastle United that's remaining because I think that's a very interesting I I don't think it's going to be decided by our three mini games against each other which is what which is what last which is, which is what last season was really wasn't it it was built mm. because of the queen dying and our yeah. rearranged game against city all of a sudden we had two games against city that's six points up for grabs there mm. yeah not only killed the queen killed us as well I think <laughs> I mean, if we played that in September we were God, we were absolutely flying. It's an interesting question you ask, though, because, you know, the the rate at which teams have been dropping points against different teams, it's, it's not just going to come down to one game. You know, our no. uh, our second game against Liverpool is at uh, the start of Feb. Um, and when do we play City? Is it March or April time? We play City at the end of March. Which right. means there's still probably going to be five, six, seven games after that, you know, likely depending on, you know, different TV schedules and stuff. So it is a, it's, I'm, I'm going to sit on the fence. It's, it's far too early to say exactly like you'll, you'll agree. And this is the most straightforward and obvious point of view, but it, we, we all need to remember it. The league isn't won and lost in January, in February. Mm. We, we just need to make sure we're in a position where we can make up the points come April. Mm. What, 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 what do you think? Do you, what, where do you think the league's going to be won and lost? I don't think it's going to be the proverbial six-pointer as it usually is. I, I think if we beat Liverpool and then lose to City at the Etihad, I don't think that... that I mean, that's a net, <laughs> net of zero, right, for us, really. But, I mean, you're taking points off Liverpool and then depending on where City are in the league... They might be three points ahead, and if you lose to them, you're six points behind. So it, it really depends on the state of the table on the on the day you play them. But for me, I think it's going to be Tottenham have a really interesting run towards the end of the season where they play. Um, I th- I'm pretty sure they play Liverpool, 
City and Arsenal almost back to back towards the end of the season. Um, kind of at differing venues, obviously, but that that's going to have a big say, right? And I think the likes of you got so many derbies as well that you you don't know what United City is going to throw up. Spurs seem to always beat City or get a result from City, and they've got to go. City have got to go to Spurs um, for their game. Um, there's so many kind of variables you've got to consider. For me, I would take. A draw against Liverpool, well, no, I obviously want to beat them, but worst case, I take a draw against Liverpool at home, take a draw away at the Etihad and go neutralise those games and win it against the other other teams around you and make sure you win those games. And I think that would probably take us to a position where coming into the last two, three game weeks of the season, we'd be there or thereabouts, two, three points in and around it. I think that's what we've got to think about. I think we placed so much importance on the two City games last year that... When we lost that one in Feb, it took us a while to get back from that. And when we lost that one in um, April at the Etihad, we just completely lost our heads because we're like, that's it, title's gone. You think about it, then if we if we beat in Brighton, beat in Southampton, beat in Forest, I know I know City won the league early, so then they rested a lot of players. But yeah. I'm saying we, we then lost our heads in those future games, which made it really hard to then recover. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we've slightly got to take a different approach this time around. Would it be a bigger achievement to win the league this season than it would have been last season. Last season, we were coming up against one of the greatest squads in the history of football that won the treble. This season, it's a lot more competitive because we're fighting against Liverpool as well and open bracket, Villa close bracket. <laughs> so is would it was it harder to win the league last season than this season? It's almost two questions, right? So was it harder to win the league last season? Yes, because we'd finished fourth or fifth even and we had no right to be in that position. So was it harder? Yes. And we've definitely improved the squad. So probably I'd say it's harder last season. Would it be a bigger achievement? I think it'd be a bigger achievement this season because we ran away with it last year. We were so good. We're the best team in the country in the league for most of the season. And then it was, we got in our own heads. Whereas this year, we've had to kind of put up with adversity in areas where again that we created for ourselves we're not as free-flowing we're not as fluid um we're dealing with more teams in and around us that are better Villa were nowhere last season now look at them now uh, now look at them in in this year's table Liverpool, Liverpool winner title race far harder this year I think and I think especially the blip we've had we've had it so early um kind of I'm counting the the December results that's our blip right so to then recover from that and still stick in this. And then if we were to go on and win the league, 100% a better achievement. I think last season was almost like, a, it was euphoria. It was like, wow, haven't seen this in almost 15, 20 years. This yeah. is amazing. That's not how you win a title though. And, and we obviously fell victim to that. But yeah, I, I think bigger achievement this season. What about you? What do you think? Well, the, the context of it is, if we are, if we are um, contending for the title this season, then it proves that last season wasn't just a flash in the pan. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it's a stronger, I think there's some kind of, there's a stronger pull towards this season because it shows that that's the standard that we are. You know what I mean? Like if, we, if yeah. we, the fact that we, we ran away with it and fucked up last season, the fact that we ran away with it in the first place, you know, you could argue out of nowhere like nobody thought what was going to happen last season was going to happen. But the fact that we've been able to maintain it onto this season and go again this season shows that that's our level. So if anything, yeah, it, for sure. it feels like there's more, there's more validity in fighting for it 
and potentially winning it this season? I think your mentality as well for the players, right? You talked about experience. Every team has to go through that experience curve. You you don't just suddenly wake up and win the title one year. If we'd done it last year, that would have been somewhat fluky. Great achievement, but it would have been somewhat fluky. Yeah. I think, yeah, and even your Allisons and your Salas and the Van Dykes, they had to go through that experience. They didn't win the league first time. Tom made the great point last week. That amazing Liverpool team has won one league title, right? Probably, probably should have had more fine, but they had to go through that experience of losing to City, that Sane goal that just crossed the line or whatever. Like they had to go through all these points that you know would have killed them, but they had to come back stronger. And that's what we have to do now, and that's that's how you grow a team. I see a lot of people saying Arsenal bottled it last year, so they'll never win the league. That's not true. I think you you have to go through that adversity yeah. to then learn from your mistakes, and I think that's what we have to do. So looks like the players will learn, and hopefully they are learning and gives us that bit of metal when it comes to crunch time. And that's it. And we, we, we have strengthened the squad objectively with Rice, Havertz and Timber. And, you know, you, you said the players coming back now will be like new signings. You mentioned Vieri, you know, you look at Timber, I think it's all bollocks that he's going to be playing in February. I hope mm. I'm proved wrong. But again, a player of that quality who looked, you know, I'm going off the fucking community shield in the first game of the season here, but he did look really promising in those two what games. What a cameo. Yeah, I know. He did. Look <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so if he is coming back end of March, April time, that is going to be, again, like a new signing that further strengthens the squad. It's going to be really interesting because there's going to be so many more twists and turns this season. And it's going to be absolute fucking agony for us all again. But hey, that's what we signed up for. I'd rather have it this way than... yeah worrying if we were going to make it to the Europa Conference And it's not final. just the players, right? We've we've grown as a... Well, actually, no, a lot of Twitter Arsenal fans have not grown up, but I feel like you, I, Tom, other Arsenal fans in this vicinity will have grown up from last year. We've been put through the ringer with that title race. You learn to keep your cool and admittedly in the last few weeks we thought, yeah, season's over, whatever. But, you know, you kind of check yourself and you go, actually, no, I believe in the boys. I believe in the process. Well, that's it. The, the we're con- going to be there. The context of that is last season we were playing against what turned out to be one of the greatest squads of all time that won the mm. treble. That it did feel like the sky was falling down if we ever dropped points because we knew they were going to be there. I feel like it's inevitable that their, their level is going to drop a little bit after a, a treble. And if it doesn't, then, I mean, Guardiola's probably the greatest manager to have ever been in the men's game anyway. So, fair fair fucks to him if they don't drop. But it, I feel like it is inevitable that they are going to drop this season. Absolutely. Signed up again for the ride. <laughs> it's going to be a bumpy one, but we're there. We will be there. And that is where we will leave it. Andy, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, Jack. Thanks for having me. You can get in touch in all the usual ways. All the information is down in the description below. Send us an email. Get at us on Twitter. Leave us a like. Leave us a rating. And thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.